Hi, this is ETF.com's Exchange Traded Fridays podcast, a weekly podcast covering developments in the ETF industry. My name is Samit Roy, and I'm Senior ETF Analyst for ETF.com. This week, I'm talking with Brandon Rakshowski, who is the Director of Product Management at Vanek, an ETF issuer with nearly $60 billion in assets under management within its U.S.-listed ETFs. Brandon, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So, Brandon, I want to talk about a very popular ETF of yours, and that is the Vanek Morningstar Wide Moat ETF, ticker symbol MOAT. It has $9.4 billion in assets under management, but this isn't an ETF that di- gets discussed a whole lot. But if you look at the performance, maybe it should, right? It's beaten SPY over the past one year, over the past three years five years, and since inception over 11 years ago. I want to get into how the ETF works, but before we get there, can you talk about this concept of the moat? That's a term coined by Warren Buffett, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. He uh, he, he coined the term, and, and uh, you know, Morningstar, who is the really the, the brains, the power behind the underlying investment strategy, you know, took that concept and ran with it. And they've, they've essentially woven this concept of identifying economic moats. So these barriers to competition uh, around a company's business model and, and trying to find those companies that have not only a moat, so a, a way of defending their their profits from competition, but also those that can sustain those moats and, and, and very far into the future. And that's really the center of Morningstar's equity research philosophy and everything that they put into their equity research of all of the 1,500 plus companies that they cover globally. Um, and it serves as the foundation for the Morningstar Y Moat Focus Index, which is, is the index that our moat ETF tracks. Um, and it's a pretty straightforward concept. If a company is successful and, and they're becoming profitable, that attracts competition. That's that's capitalism 101. And those companies that can set themselves apart by creating some sort of advantage over their peers to end off competition can be set up for success well into the future. Uh, so Morningstar's equity research analyst team, they are looking at every company that they cover and trying to determine uh, which of those companies have some sort of advantage? And they've got a very robust kind of systematic framework for assessing all of the companies that they cover. And they essentially assign each of those companies a moat rating. Uh, and those imply whether or not a company has a competitive advantage um, and also how long that Morningstar believes that company can sustain a competitive advantage. So those ratings go from wide to narrow and to none. And that just simply implies the the size of a competitive advantage and also the duration and sustainability of that competitive advantage. So a very exclusive list of companies in the US receive the wide moat rating from Morningstar's equity research team. Um, And those are those companies that they believe can sustain their competitive advantage for 20 years or more into the future. So very exclusive uh, rating from that team. Wow. Sounds like a very compelling strategy. Obviously, there's a lot of different types of moats. Can you talk about some of them, Brandon? Maybe uh, network effects I've heard. What else is out there? Yeah, that's right. So Morningstar, as part of this moat research process, has identified five different sources of economic moats. And they're all 
very logical, but they're also hard to, to establish. Um, so I can walk through those very quickly. First is switching costs. So the first sort of source of moping, switching costs, that's when a company has entrenched themselves, their their products or services so much into their customers' business model that it's both costly and time-consuming for their customers to switch from one service provider to another. Um, in, in, our, in our everyday life, you can think about banking, you know, for example, you know, to go and close your bank account at one bank and then go have your money money transferred to, to another bank to open a new account can be burdensome. So, so banks sometimes op- often benefit from a switching cost source of moat. Uh, the second source of moat is intangible assets. That's been a buzzword, uh, I think, for in, in the investing community for, for quite some time. But really, when a company can can create an intangible asset source of moat, they they can create some sort of brand, or they may have been able to obtain a patent in the pharmaceutical industry, and and these intangible assets allow them to charge more for their good or service than uh, than their than their competition. Starbucks is a great example of this. Uh, with their brand, they're able to charge just a little bit more than any other coffee retailer on the same block. Um, the third source of uh, of moats as identified by by Morningstar is network effect. Um, the network effect can be very powerful. It's when you know the value of a good or a service um, increases when more users are are involved with that good or service. So we see this happening in one obvious area with Meta platforms and their Facebook social media platform. The more users, the more powerful that network becomes, and the more advertisers might be willing to spend. Uh, on that platform. It also exists in uh, credit card companies, for example. So the more uh, merchants that accept a Visa card motivates more consumers to, to go out and open a Visa card. And the more consumers that have a Visa card, the more merchants are going to be uh, likely to accept Visa cards. So that network effect can really benefit a business. Uh, the fourth source of mode is cost advantage. Um, that's pretty straightforward. You can think of Walmart or, or other businesses like that, where when a company can create this cost advantage, they can either undercut their competition from a price perspective, or they can be more profitable at the same price point. Um, so the cost advantage being the fourth source of moat. And last but not least, the probably the least common source of moat is efficient scale. And you can think of this as, as somewhat of a maybe a regional monopoly. Um, and efficient scale exists when a certain market is really efficiently served by one or very few participants. So the motivation to enter a market from, to, to enter a market as, as a new entrant uh, is very low because it's essentially going to re, you know, reduce profitability and returns for, for all participants. So you can think of maybe a, uh, a regional uh, rail operator, you know, Union Pacific or, or name, the, name the rail provider. You know, they're not going to just go lay track in a new territory uh, if there's already a, uh, an extensive rail line network in that area. So, so it's a bit of a barrier entry or a natural monopoly. And those are the five sources of moat. So switching costs, network effect, intangible asset, cost advantage, and efficient scale. And that's what Morningstar is looking at with each of their companies to identify whether A, it has one of these sources of moat and, and then therefore an advantage over its peers. And then just as important, it looks forward and determines how long it can, can sustain uh, these sources of moat into the future. Super interesting stuff. Great color, Brandon. Now, turning back to the ETF, you already talked about this a little bit. 
how does the Moat ETF works? It's an index-based fund, so it replicates that index and based on Morningstar's methodology. Is that correct? Yeah, that that's right. So so the ETF's tracking the the Morningstar Wide Moat Focus Index, and that index is looking at the universe of U.S. companies and selecting from those that Morningstar has assigned a wide moat rating to. So the, as I said, the most exclusive kind of subset of Morningstar's equity coverage universe. And I think it's important to, to note here that Morningstar is a large organization. I think uh, most fo- folks listening to this podcast probably have heard of Morningstar. They've got a great uh, research area, funds, mutual funds, ETFs. Um, they've got a great data capability, but they also do have a very uh, extensive and well-accomplished equity research division. And that's really where we're getting all of the, the underlying equity research that powers uh, our Moat ETF and its underlying index. So Morningstar's equity research team has you know, over 100 equity research analysts globally covering 1,500 companies globally. Um, they're spread across different regions of the world and and, and churning out equity research on, on all of these companies. So this index is created leveraging the output from these equity research analysts. So you can almost think of the, the index as a, a client of Morningstar's equity research. It's just consuming the economic moat research that it's putting out to assemble, to assemble the portfolio. What the ETF and the index use in addition to these moat rating is Morningstar's fair value estimate these companies that they cover. Because logically, if you think about these great companies, high quality companies with sound business models protected from competition into the future, everyone's going to want to own these types of companies, right? So uh, they very rarely will trade on sale, if you will. So the goal of the index strategy is to leverage both the moat research provided by Morningstar's equity research team, but also leverage their fair value estimate, which is their their valuation metric to allocate to those wide moat companies that are trading at attractive valuations relative to the universe of wide moat companies. So on a quarterly basis, the index undergoes a very systematic pre-scheduled review process in which it assesses the U.S. equities with wide moat ratings and then allocates to the cheapest or the most attractively priced of those companies based on where their stock price is currently trading relative to how much Morningstar's equity research analysts think the company is worth. So that is what really drives the the selection process on a quarterly basis. Uh, And then the ETF and the underlying index are targeting uh, approximately 45 to 55 companies from that universe. So that's that's generally the the, the range in the holdings. Uh, Anywhere from 45 to 55 of the most attractively priced wide moat companies at any given time. And this combination of, of targeting these high quality moat rated companies and using valuations to drive the selection process uh, has been this winning formula that's, uh, that, that's really driven some of the success of this ETF over the last 10 plus years. And then it's not to mention the, the underlying index has been live since 2007. So we're not talking about this, you know, a back-tested strategy that's kind of been reverse-engineered to, to work historically. It's it's proven itself in 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 real time. Brandon, I'm glad you mentioned valuation because I did notice that Nvidia currently isn't included in Moat's portfolio. 
to some people that might actually be a surprise, right? Because obviously NVIDIA is a leader when it comes to designing the chips that power AI applications. Why isn't that a holding in the ETF? NVIDIA is not a holding in the ETF because it's too expensive right now. And it has been for, for a, a, a little bit of time. So um, like I said, a lot of great companies are owned by a lot of investors and that can drive their price higher and higher. And Morningstar, you know, independent of, of market sentiment and momentum and all of this, they, they assign a fair value estimate for each of these companies. And because of the systematic rules-based way that this index is constructed, if a company is overvalued, it's most likely not going to be added to the index. Um, so you saw that with NVIDIA for, for a good portion of its recent history. You know, the last 10 years or so, NVIDIA was generally not in the index. However, in 2022, as a lot of growth-oriented companies were struggling through, you know, the inflationary environment and then the subsequent Fed action that, that raised rates, NVIDIA actually did flash a little bit of a valuation opportunity and it was added to the portfolio in September of 2022. Um, and this this kind of story plays plays itself out again and again with different companies. We could go down the list. Uh, Meta Platforms, for example, has been very kind of opportunistically added and removed from the portfolio his, historically. But back to Nvidia, it was added in September of of, of 2022 because it flashed a a discount to Morningstar's Fair Value for really the first time um, in, in years and years and years. So it was added to the index, and it has since formed you know, as, as everyone is aware, uh, very strongly. And it was actually removed from the portfolio in March of 2023 after appreciating significantly while in the portfolio. So um, it ended up missing some of that rally after its its more recent earnings results and forecast revisions, but um, participated in a pretty strong way. And despite NVIDIA not being a consistent holding of moat and, you know, despite other companies that you might be surprised to learn that have not always had a wide moat rating, like Apple, for example. It was just recently, uh, in the last six months or so, upgraded from a narrow moat rating to a wide moat rating. The moat ETF won't hold many of those big uh, mega cap tech companies that we're all used to hearing about that drive market returns. It will be underweight or simply um, not allocated to some of those companies. And you know, the performance of the strategy is, is, is in many, many ways, despite that underweight, um, as opposed to a beneficiary of its exposure to some of those really high flying companies we've seen over the last 10 years or so. Yeah, I should mention that despite excluding NVIDIA currently, Moat is up almost 21% year to date, which is uh, well in excess of the S&P 500's 15% return. So, what kind of stocks are in the ETF currently that are driving it? I know Meta is in there currently. What other wide moat stocks are in there? Yeah, we've seen uh, it's been an interesting um, trends will, will play out uh, within the underlying index and the ETF moat um, as the index is systematically re reconstituted and rebalanced on a quarterly basis. Uh, we, we'll see shifts in the portfolio, if you will. The sector allocations can change pretty significantly from quarter to quarter because, again, this is this is really unconstrained. It's it's simply a strategy that targets wide moat companies. First criteria, second criteria, they have to be attractively priced. So as you see certain segments of the market uh, flash valuation opportunities, you'll see you'll see some exposure um, enter the portfolio, and that 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 played out. Um, 
you know, call, call it post, uh, post pandemic in 2020, we saw some, you know, the portfolio really shift um, to more of a value posture and it did so a little bit ahead of the trend there. And it eventually benefited from that value exposure. And then as you know, everyone started to become attracted to the consumer cyclical stocks and the more defensive areas of the market. The index actually started to scale back and, and return to more growthier areas of the market. Tech and others um, started to see more prominence in the portfolio throughout 2022 as that sector became you know, beat down, if you will. Um, and now we're starting to see kind of a reversal of all of that. We're seeing some of those growth names, some of the profits being taken in some of these companies. Um, and we saw recently, actually last week, the index went through its most recent review and we saw a little bit of a, a shift away from growth and back more into that core and slightly more toward value exposure that, that we're seeing currently. So, um, you know, in terms of current companies that you see in the portfolio, you know, there's there's the, the usual suspects that you're not going to be surprised, um, have a wide mo rating um, that are being held held by the portfolio. Companies like Google, of course, Salesforce.com has a, has a very strong moat uh, from the tech sector. You see companies uh, across the healthcare, uh, pharmaceuticals, biotech, and maybe some, some medical device companies. So you'll see companies like Zimmer, Biomet um, in the portfolio, uh, all straight through to banks and consumer-facing companies like Kellogg, U.S. Bancorp, and Bank of America, and others. But there are also some unique names, some some lesser known companies that Morningstar covers that you might not find in in your typical fund or ETF. You know, a lot of uh, uh, chip companies that are not actual chip manufacturers, but are involved in the manufacturing process. So, quality and control companies that are that are part of that, you know, semiconductor ecosystem, straight down the line. So, a lot of a lot of interesting names. Uh, I encourage you to check out check out the holdings of Moat because it is a it is a heavily followed ETF in terms of what's being held by the ETF and when. Um, so we do get a lot of a lot of uh, uh, traction around these uh, quarterly repositionings to see where the valuation opportunities are at any given time. That's great. So Brandon, I know Moat isn't your only ETF focused on investing in companies with competitive advantages. Can you talk about some of the other ETFs in your lineup? Yeah, of course. So we launched Moat back in 2012. It's really our, our flagship ETF and, and one that, that has done very well and, and spurred a lot of demand from our, our own clients for other exposures to Morningstar's Moat research methodology in um, different regions uh, or, or market cap ranges. So we launched, uh, sh- shortly after we launched Mo, we launched an international version. So basically global XUS and that trades under the ticker MOTI for, for Moat International. Um, and that's been very successful um, this year in, in addition to, to the success we've seen uh, with new investment and uh, returns from our flagship Moat ETF, MOTI, our international offering uh, has also been very popular. And then one other ETF that, um, we're very excited about here at, at Vanek is our uh, small and mid cap version trading under the ticker SMOT. Um, so targeting U.S. companies in the small and mid cap section of the market that have have moats and are attractively priced. We're very excited. We see we we received a lot of feedback from our existing investors on uh, in moat that they would love to see this type of methodology applied down market cap. Um, and we think the timing is really 
very opportunistic for looking into that type of exposure right now. The small and mid cap area of the market has underperformed for quite some time. Um, it's been it's had a tough go this year as there's a lot of concern in the market uh, about potential recession in the future. And small caps generally will underperform leading into reception recession, um, but they'll often historically recover more rapidly and in, in, in a bigger way than large caps subsequently in, in the recovery phase. So uh, we're seeing these valuation uh, dynamics of large versus small and mid cap stocks right now that haven't really played out um, for decades. They're just the valuation story is is really compelling for taking a look at and considering small and mid cap stocks. So we're able to apply that moat methodology to the small uh, and mid cap space right now with SMOT. And we also offer ETF for global moat exposure. There's an ESG focused US moat ETF under MOTE. Um, and that, that kind of rounds out our, our offerings at VanEck, but we've got a pretty comprehensive suite of uh, ETFs fueled by Morningstar's equity research team. Fantastic. So before I let you go, Brandon, is there anything else you want to add? The last thing I would say, just something that we've monitored quite a bit here at, at VanEck, we've heard a lot from our clients about uncertainties in the market and this focus on high quality stocks. It really just obviously blends right into our conversations we're having with Moat based on the efforts of Morningstar's team to identify high quality companies with competitive advantages. Uh, but we've seen a lot of investors gravitate to quality index kind of single factor ETFs, uh, which has been really fascinating as, as markets have appreciated this year after a very difficult 2022, you know, despite some of that, that rally and recovery, there's still a lot of interest in, in these like well-positioned defensible companies, um, to weather some of the market uncertainties moving forward. And, and you know, I think it's it's very difficult to time factors. I think we've all kind of learned that, you know, whether it's value, dividend yield, uh, low vol, it's just very difficult to get that timing right. So, um, you know, we we have had a lot of uh, positive reception to, to Moat and its effort of ident- identifying these high quality companies with defensive characteristics, but also focus, focusing on the valuation side. So that's, I think, what, what a lot of these, these factor-oriented strategies can be missing is they might target a factor, but timing that factor is so difficult that having a valuation-driven selection uh, methodology has added so much value to, to the moat ETF and its underlying index historically that that's one thing that investors should lose sight of is, is making sure that, that you're not overpaying for the exposure that you're, that, that, that you're getting. Um, and that's that's really something I, I, I try to hammer home when I when I can. That's great. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. Brandon, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights with us. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find this and all other Exchange Traded Fridays episodes on ETF.com or on any major podcast platform. See you next week.